This is The Law School Show. Discovering the person behind the resume. Bringing you their stories and their tips on how to succeed in your legal career. Catch it all here, right now, on The Law School Show. Hi, this is Angela Huang with part two of the interview with Professor John Marquise. This section continues with the challenges of being a drafter, his transition into a management role, his inspiration for his book, and more. So tune in and be sure to subscribe to our podcast or follow us on our Twitter account. Thank you. Find text that will mm-hmm. do, and um, and the, the policy people that you're working with, the people who are providing the instructions, often it, it, it's like art. Um, they they won't know it until they see it. Mm-hmm. They won't know if it's good until they they see it. And so you're constantly working with things and giving them, you know, examples of, of, of what might work. And and the way drafting has evolved evolved during the course of my career was initially it was a largely a paper-based um, process. You got written instructions. Mm. Uh, you sat down. You spent a few days looking at those instructions and starting to play with with legislative language. And then, you know, you got to a certain point where you thought you had something that would be a draft that you could then send to your instructing officials and have a meeting. And so you would then look at what you had drafted um, and talk about that text. You would make notes about that meeting and you go back and you do, you know, some more doodling with your, with your legislative text. That process has evolved into something that I think you're probably seeing now, yes. which is far more interactive. <laughs> where you go into a meeting room with computers on a table mm. and with with text that you can change uh, on the fly. And so that, that process of creating text is far mm-hmm. more interactive than it was before. Um, you, you start talking things through with people. Um, and, and as you talk through what they want, you get a better sense of you know, what kind of legislative text will accomplish what they want. And that's what I find found really mm-hmm. satisfying is, you know, they come in there you know, without any legislative text, and you know, a couple of hours later they leave with something that seems to be doing what they want to do. Um, and so you've created something that that meets a need <laughs> to express policy mm-hmm. and legislation, and will will accomplish something. Um, and then ultimately, when you see that legislative text enacted, uh, you know, the bill gets royal assent, the, the regulation gets, gets registered, um, I, I found immense satisfaction in that. Uh, I now have something there for posterity on the record books uh, that I can point to. You know, I, I can always point to the first Canadian Environmental Protection Act as, mm-hmm. as the first piece of major legislation that I drafted. And, and when I say draft it, I didn't you know, write it all from scratch because a lot of that exercise was an exercise of assembling pre-existing pieces of legislation. There were about four different separate acts mm-hmm. that were brought together into a single environmental act. These other pieces of legislation all dealt with environmental matters, but they'd been you know, draft, uh, enacted at different times and they didn't really fit together. And so the Environmental Protection Act was an attempt to bring it all together in a coherent 
system to deal with environmental issues and to essentially recognizing that there is now something called environmental law. <laughs> uh, it's not just sort of this random assortment of, of, of things that, that people, uh, that, that people uh, apply. Mm -hmm. And so my role in that was to, to try to oversee the assembly <laughs> of all these pieces. Plus, there was a lot of new stuff in it. There was a lot of new policy that was part of this legislation as well. And so we had to draft these new things as well and fit them into it. So um, that was a challenge, working with uh, all of these, these complex pieces of a puzzle, also working with a variety of departments, because it wasn't just the Department of the Environment that was involved in this. It was fisheries and oceans, it was health, it was agriculture. Um, industry was to some extent involved in this because you know uh, energy mines and resources or natural resources as it came to be called um, even you know the Department of National Defense um, was interested in some aspects of this legislation mm -hmm. because it was going to have an impact on defense because <laughs> defense sometimes does things that aren't so good for the environment <laughs> So they, they sat up and they paid attention as well <laughs> to what we were doing here. That was a major new piece of this legislation. Yeah. There was going to be a piece of this legislation that dealt with government departments and government activity relating to the environment. That was a huge hole that, uh, that had existed before. You know, governments could do all kinds of crazy things that were harmful for the environment with impunity. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and they did. <laughs> you know, there are a lot of environmental disasters around yeah. here that are the result of government activities. Oh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, so I had to deal with people from all these various departments, uh -huh. and and, um, and and one of the really satisfying things I can recall from that project was. Um, trying to reconcile the viewpoints of well, four different departments on the drafting of a particular provision. They all had different views wow. as to how this should be drafted because it was going to cut differently mm -hmm. depending on, on uh, which department you're talking about or not, not so much which department but which client group because each department has its constituency. Yeah. You know, agriculture has the farmers. <laughs> <laughs> Fisheries and oceans has the fisher people. <laughs> yeah. um, and those people, and so to some extent, those departments represent those interests. Mm -hmm. and, and so there we were at the table with those interests at the table. And how do we, how do we come up with a legislative text that will keep them all happy, that they can all live with? Um, and so that's a real challenge. And when I came up with something, I had a great degree of, of satisfaction in, 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 in knowing that they were all now prepared to sign off on that text. <laughs> but how, how did you actually manage that? Because, I mean, I've sat in in one of those meetings and it gets pretty tense yeah. <laughs> and they don't get what they want. <laughs> well, you try to, um, I mean, in, in, in the meeting I'm talking about, yeah. um, it wasn't me against them. It was, you know, them against each other. Oh. So I was more of a mediator, you know, a conciliator. <laughs> but yes, sometimes it is the drafters versus the instructing mm -hmm. officials because the instructing officials come in and they say, no, we need these words. Yes, yeah. 
and the drafters say, why? <laughs> you know, how will these words accomplish what you want? Yeah. Uh, and they, you know, say, no, this is what the stakeholders want. The yeah. stakeholders think these words mean this, and so we're going to use mm -hmm. these words. And so one of the roles of the drafters is to say, well, your stakeholders might think they mean that, but I don't think the court is going to interpret it that way. And, 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 you know, by the way, you know, will anybody ever understand that meaning? So, uh, I mean, the drafter's main role is to try to yeah. express things clearly and intelligibly, um, to express it in language that ultimately will accomplish what it needs to accomplish in the real world and perhaps ultimately in a court. Mm -hmm. And, and the policy people sometimes have, um, have different views on, on what language will accomplish. And, and as a drafter, you have to often establish your credibility. And, you know, mm -hmm. that, yes, I do know something about <laughs> language, how it works, especially legislative language. <laughs> and, and that's where, you know, when you're starting off as a junior drafter, you yeah. may find it's a little more uh, difficult to, uh, to advance your views or to have them accepted by the client. Because a lot of that is, is, is building the credibility mm -hmm. and convincing them that, Yes, you really do know what you're talking about. And and also, sometimes you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> so you have to admit that as well. Um, you have to know, and, and, and that can be not just when you're a junior drafter, but I mean, you can go into the, that room and, and think of, you know, you need, the client needs this language, mm -hmm. but you also have to have an open mind to, to their viewpoints on that language. And sometimes they can convince you convince you otherwise. Uh, you know, once I had a, a somewhat terrifying experience in, with income tax regulations <laughs> where, you know, I was getting these instructions and I said, you know, if you want to do that, we have to change this language. Mm -hmm. um, and so at the very last minute before this regulation went off down into the, the cabinet meeting, I finally got a clear explanation of what the policy intent was from somebody. <laughs> Oh, no. And I said, oh, <laughs> well, if that's the intent, then I guess the original language is what you wanted. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> so the problem there was, was not really with uh -huh. the language. It was with Figuring the policy out what that was they communicated wanted. to me uh -huh. and understanding, understanding that policy uh, thoroughly. So even as a junior drafter, you actually get to deal with the clients by yourself? Is that how yeah. it works? Wow. Oh my gosh, that's so much pressure. <laughs> well, I mean, it depends on the file. But yes. you know, I started off doing regulations and you know, doing relatively straightforward, simple regulations. You know, my, my first mm -hmm. 100 files were one-page regulations that were tied into um, the... Uh, the deregulation of the commercial airline industry mm -hmm. in this country. Um, in the, the mid by the, the mid eighties, um, well up to the mid eighties, commercial airlines were very heavily regulated in this country. You needed all kinds of licenses to uh, to do uh, engaging commercial activities. And when the Mulroney government came in, one of its first orders of business was to deregulate and one of their targets was the commercial airline industry. And so mm -hmm. the way they decided to do it was through orders in council 
under the National Transportation Act. Oh. Rather than bringing in reform legislation, you know, they really wanted to get going on this. Yeah. They didn't yeah. have time to waste with Parliament. So they did all these one-page orders oh, that, that basically <laughs> removed conditions from, from commercial airline uh -huh. licenses. So this is what I spent you know, hours and hours and hours doing. Um, was making sure that all the T's were crossed and the I's were dotted oh. on these one or two page orders for and, and they were all very specific like they focused on particular airlines mm -hmm. um, they, this was not general regulation but um, because of the nature of the what was going on it was in the, it was in the, the regulatory process so um, that was the kind of thing I was turned loose on you know how much damage could I do? <laughs> Probably not too much. <laughs> so they, but they, then as you, yeah. as you go on, you get yeah. more and more complicated files. And Well, one other feature of working mm -hmm. in the drafting environment federally is that you're always working with another drafter. Oh, you know, the because French you're doing drafter. one language version. And yeah. There's always somebody else working on the other language version. And the way drafting assignments are generally done is you try to put together um, a senior drafter doing one language version with a, a junior drafter doing the other language version. So you learn a fair bit from that more senior drafter that you're paired with, mm -hmm. although um, they're limited in, in what they can teach you because they're drafting in another language. <laughs> <laughs> so you can learn an awful lot about the process. You yes. can learn a lot about policy development. Um, you can learn a lot about you know, English-French translation mm -hmm. issues, but um, you won't learn a lot about you know, good drafting style in your own language from somebody who is a specialist <laughs> in drafting in another language. <laughs> Would you say that knowing French is really important as a drafter? Um, yes, in Canada it's really important because over half of our jurisdictions in Canada, provincial, territorial, federal, over half of them mm -hmm. um, legislated both English and French. So what other skills besides French and attention to detail <laughs> would be important as a drafter? Um, having um, the ability to conceptualize things, to, to imagine how this legislation is really going to work mm -hmm. in practice. So there's a certain imagination you have to have. Um, and to ask questions about how it's going to work. Um, there's a, you know, I, I think there's actually a, a similarity between litigation counsel and, and legislative counsel in some respects in terms of, of asking questions and, and, um, and trying to get inform illicit information out of your witnesses. <laughs> <laughs> because you have, you know, as a drafting yeah. client, you have somebody who comes in and, you know, what do they know about you know, what needs to be in the law. Mm -hmm. They can tell you what they want as a policy matter. They can probably tell you all sorts of interesting things about the subject matter that you're drafting on, but it's up to you as a drafter to ask the right questions. Um, and and that's, you know, that's a skill that, that's you know, really useful in litigation, although it's actually a skill that's useful, I think, in any form of drafting. So not just legislative drafting. If mm -hmm. you're drafting in the private sector, it's the same deal. If you're drafting somebody's will, you want to make sure that what you're <laughs> writing there yeah. is actually what they have in their head. Well, you have to get them to talk about what's in their head. You have to ask the right questions. And so um, that, that communication dimension is, is, is absolutely vital 
in terms of drafting as well. Um, going back to the, to, to the language issue, um, it's absolutely essential that you can work with somebody who's drafting the same law, but mm -hmm. in a different language. And so you need to have good teamwork skills. Uh, you need to be prepared to, uh, to, to, to work with somebody rather than just charging ahead and doing everything on your own. Um, because you can't do that and, and have, uh, and have, uh, have, have versions that say the same thing. If each drafter just go, does their own thing, God knows what you'll end up with at the end of the drafting process. So you have to work together. And, and that's, that's, that's really true about bilingual legislation, but it's also true of other legislation as well. And, uh, you know, even if it's unilingual legislation, you, you've got to stay in touch with your policy instructing people. Uh, you've got to make sure that they know what you're doing. Mm -hmm. uh, because if you if you sneak in some changes <laughs> that they don't, don't see, uh, they can go back to bite you later on <laughs> when they cause a problem. So communication and teamwork is, is essential all around for I think any form uh, of drafting because you're always working with other people. Uh, you know, drafting legislation mm -hmm. is not a purely creative exercise. Uh, it's a communicative exercise. Okay. And so what was it, what was different from being a drafter and then moving on to becoming a chief legislative counsel? Is there a lot of difference in terms of the uh, like time management or job mm -hmm. responsibilities? Yeah, huge, huge numbers of differences. And actually I transitioned, mm -hmm. I didn't go directly from drafting files to being a manager. Um, I transitioned into a new unit that was established to, um, to do legal research and support of legislative issues and also to do training uh, and development of uh, legislative counsel. Uh, to put together work tools that would be used by uh, legislative councils to, to help them in, uh, in, in their work. And mm -hmm. so um, I moved out of drafting into doing something that was more along the lines uh, of research, writing, uh, teaching. Um, and I was managing a small unit at that point um, uh, as well. So I started to do a little bit of managerial stuff. but. But initially, my, my job was more focused on, um, on, uh, on, on the research and on the, the preparation of, of developmental materials for people who were, uh, were drafting legislation. Mm -hmm. uh, eventually, I moved out of that into managing drafting units um, and, uh, and, and involved in the management of the branch as a whole. Um, I became part of a, of a small management team for the branch itself. And so I was working much more closely with the Chief Legislative Council at that point. And it was through her that I really started to get introduced more broadly to management <laughs> and the kinds of issues you have to deal with there. Um, and the, the, those issues are basically uh, around human resources management and around financial management. Mm -hmm. Also, management, what we call management of the law. So although at the first instance you have people drafting legislation and you know, dealing with legal issues as part of, part of that legislation, uh, sometimes pretty serious legal issues arose in those drafting files. 
And they're particularly serious when um, there are a lot of people who disagree about what the right answer is. Mm -hmm. And so when you get those disagreements, the answer in government is you move it up the chain of command. Uh, you take it up to your manager to see if the manager can help to sort out yeah. these disagreements and you know move the way forward. So I was I was still uh, involved in drafting files, but in that that indirect uh, way. Um, I was now just involved in the, the files that had these tricky or difficult legal questions that uh, that, that came up in them. Uh, I also became a little bit more involved in, in policy from a, a justice perspective because um, actually the branch had some policy responsibilities for laws like the Statutory Instruments Act. And, um, there was a little bit of legislative activity around the Statutory Instruments Act. Um, uh, I'd actually, as a drafter, been involved in, in a, a complete reform of it and mm -hmm. the drafting of a new, uh, a new act called the Regulations Act, um, which uh, was introduced in Parliament, and, uh, but it was never enacted. It was introduced, it was reintroduced in a new Parliament, <laughs> um, but it was never passed. Yeah. And um, and so I, I was involved in that file as a drafter, but also somewhat as a policy person. And when I, I came into my newer position in, in policy development and in research, um, I, I took on more of those policy responsibilities. And so I, I then became more acquainted with uh, how um, the, the government uh, gets involved in uh, a legislative file in, in mm -hmm. Parliament and all the things you need to do to support the minister um, and to, uh, to, to manage uh, legislative issues in the House. And that was a dimension that I'd never been directly involved in as a drafter, but I'm now involved in writing briefing notes, um, in going and appearing as a witness before parliamentary committees, uh, doing things that policy people <laughs> do, <laughs> not drafters. <laughs> um, so my, my experience sort of broadens mm -hmm. and, and getting more and more of a managerial role. And, and the, you know, the preparation of, 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 of briefing notes and the support of the minister is something that managers are all quite involved in because they have to sign off on all of these things. Um, so again, another facet of management um, that, that I became involved in, in addition to those, those, those core things of, of human resources and, and, and finances. Would you say other skills are needed to be um, a good manager, per se? I think, actually, that a lot of the skills mm -hmm. that you need as a drafter are the same skills as a manager. The people kind of skills. Um, you need patience. I didn't mention that with drafting. But <laughs> the patience is, is, yes. is a real yeah. value there. Yeah. Uh, you can't lose your head mm -hmm. uh, over you, one you word sometimes. No, um, <laughs> you've, you've got to you know, find a way yeah. to deal with things calmly, um, and because if you lose it, then it's it's mm -hmm. really all over. And, and as a manager, that's that's all the more important. You know, um, uh, you're, as a manager, you, mm -hmm. you've got to at the very least try to keep the peace, even if you don't solve the issues, <laughs> you stop the riot. <laughs> So um, there are very similar skill sets, I think. Uh, what, what's different is the way you use those skills um, is a little bit different. Um, as, as a manager, 
um, you are you're still working with mm -hmm. people, but you're working with different people. You're not working with the clients. You're working with the drafters and the other employees who work with you. You're working with people in other parts of the department or in other departments um, where you have something to resolve uh, between you. Um, you know, a lot of things I, I worked on as a manager were uh, for departmental consumption. They were general departmental policies. Um, and as I was one of, of many managers who were involved in trying to put together those policies and, and move them forward. And, and, and they weren't all just HR and, and, and finance policies. A lot of them were legal policies, um, trying to develop processes for legal risk management in, in, uh, in the department. Uh, and, and just policy positions, legal policy positions on you know, what represents good drafting. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, at the outset uh, today, I think it was mentioning how a lot of drafting is you're just sort of looking at the models and the precedents and you, you know, tailor them. Well, um, a lot of what managers do is they try to refine those models and develop drafting guidance on how you draft certain kinds of provisions. Mm -hmm. And it, it's not, it's, it's, it goes beyond just saying, well, here's, here's a formula, here's the words you use. Because it's very seldom that, you know, that exact formulation works everywhere. And so the drafting guidance is not just a model, it's also some explanation of how you use that model, of the various things that um, can change about the circumstances in which you use that model. It's giving you advice on the legal considerations and the policy considerations around drafting something one way or the other way. So, so some of, of, of what drafting management is, 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 is drafting that policy guidance, that legal advisory guidance that you give to mm -hmm. people who are working for you, uh, so that the advice and the drafting that they're doing is consistent, it's coherent across the whole department. You don't have, you know, drafters drafting basically the same thing in two completely different ways. You don't have people giving contradictory advice on on essentially the same legal issue. So I guess being able to see the big picture, but then also focusing on some of the details is very important. Yeah. Okay. And with while you're doing all this, how did you even find time and inspiration for your book? <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, that's and this is sort of a detour into into the university life. Yeah. Um, while I was, um, this is just before I, I sort of went into this position in, in research and development and training. Um, I had um, in 1989 to 91, I'd done an exchange with Ruth Sullivan. Oh. Uh, so she came to take my job in the Department of Justice and draft legislation to get a practical experience. And I went here to the university to teach law courses wow. and get some experience in <laughs> teaching, but also to, to create a course in, in legal mm -hmm. drafting because there really hadn't been much of a course here before that. So that was one of the, the purposes of bringing me here was to create this course in, in, in drafting. Um, so um, I had a couple of years here of, of doing that, and then I repeated that at the end of the 90s. I went back again for another year when we were trying to uh, re-engineer the graduate program, and um, I did the same thing here at, um, at, the, uh, at the university. 
Okay, so what inspired you, I guess, to make executive legislation? The book. Oh, sorry, yeah. Okay, let, me, let, me, yeah let me close the loop on the, on the executive legislation thing. Um, it was in my, in my first stint at the university uh -huh. from 89 to 91. I had these two summers completely free, you know, and so I figured, well, put them to good use. Um, I've always wanted to, um, to, to write some more on delegated legislation. And actually, that starts with my master's here mm -hmm. at the university when I was doing the graduate program. Uh, my master's thesis was on judicial review of delegated legislation. And um, I turned that into a couple of articles. Um, but when I was here, I met somebody who had a book contract to write a book for Butterworths on delegated legislation. And he found that he really didn't think he would have the time to write this book, and so he kind of passed it off to me. Oh. And I took it on, and yeah. after over the course of a couple of summers, I'd pretty much written the book, and we got it off to the publishers, and it was published in, in 1992. Um, and then the second edition of the book, um, I had a, a short leave of absence from uh, mm -hmm. justice for about four months. Um, and I always kind of tried to keep up on the, the jurisprudence in this area and so I had you know a collection of all these cases that I needed to to um, uh, to read and to digest into mm -hmm. and to, to update the um, uh, the text so the second round that's basically in about four or five months of full-time work I managed to, to get that one done any uh, thoughts for a third edition, maybe? <laughs> yeah, there's been well, some it's now six years down the road yeah. since the second. And, and there's been and, some um, changes with the statutory instrument. Oh, yeah, act, there's been so. some really interesting cases in the Supreme Court. The Katz decision um, is, is one. And so there's definitely more to write about. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I'm starting to think about this. And uh, I guess in my own mind, I'm maybe targeting 2010, or 2020, rather. As, yeah. um, as uh, the target for uh, yeah. the third edition. Because there's the whole incorporation by reference yeah. debate going on. That's right. The bay. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's right. With the legislative reforms federally. Yeah, and they inserted um, the new section. It'll be interesting to see uh, what happens with them. I'm going to be keeping a keen eye to see if there are any court cases that pay any attention to this, these provisions. Mm -hmm. we'll, uh, we'll see. But uh, let's see. Um, oh yeah, so what motivated you to make the transition into a professor? Was that from the switch, that kind of... Yeah, well, I had this sometime career mm -hmm. teaching here, and um, in addition to the three years I was here full-time, I also taught part-time quite a lot um, through, you know, about half of that time, more than half. Um, so, and I'd always thought it would be nice to go back. <laughs> uh, and when I reached 30 years of service in the, in the federal government, I thought, well, maybe it's time to, uh, to move on. Um, I was also, by the end of my career, I was very heavily involved in, in management issues. The, the, the files that had legal content were relatively rare. Mm -hmm. uh, I was mostly... Um, dealing with, with major issues of, of departmental administration. Um, I was, was chairing the, um, the, the management committee of the department, which basically deals with finance and, and HR issues. That's 
all we deal with, a mm -hmm. uh, constant stream of, of matters. Um, and so I guess I was getting um, a little weary of, of just spending all of my time on those kinds of issues. And I thought, well, maybe it's time to go back and to reconnect with, with, uh, with the university and, and also reconnect with the law. You know, do some real law. <laughs> uh, that's what initially got me involved in this, so maybe it's time to return. And the best part of being a professor, you would say? Oh, it's the students. Really? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's the interaction with, with the students. And um, it's the enthusiasm um, I find. It's the, you know, the, the inquiring minds, people wanting to learn things. Um, it's uh, that's what attracts me most to uh, to to, uh, to being here. And some challenges. <laughs> <laughs> well, there are a few challenges, but by and large, there, I haven't found it too challenging at all. Even the marking, uh, you know, it's not my favorite <laughs> job, but I, I see value in it, and I mm -hmm. see merit in it, and especially when. I'm, I'm marking midterms, and I know that the students are going to be looking at the mark and looking at the comments, and so these comments aren't just you know going into oblivion, which is mm -hmm. often what happens on final exams. And so, if I have the sense that that those comments are making a difference, then that's really worthwhile. That's the whole point of, of my teaching. So if uh, let's say a student is really eager in drafting, learning about it. Do you have any resources that you would recommend them maybe read or? Well, um, there are a few texts on, on drafting. Um, there's the one I use for the legal drafting course here mm -hmm. by Paul Salambia. It's a fine, um, a fine piece of work on, uh, on drafting. Um, I would recommend your book. <laughs> I, mean, well, I use it a lot at work. Yeah, if you're interested in, in executive legislation, yeah. yes, um, that's a pretty good resource as yeah. well on those aspects. And, and a lot of that is, is critical to drafting. If you're drafting regulations, mm -hmm. one of the things you have to be concerned with is, is their authority for making these regulations, what is the right process for making the regulations, are we following it? So all of that is addressed in, in, uh, in my book. Um, I think learning more about interpretation um, is, is vital for somebody who's interested in drafting. Um, it really helps you to focus on uh, mm -hmm. what happens to this legislation after it's drafted, how do people understand it. Um, in terms of the drafting skills themselves, um, the you know, the, drafting is not altogether different from good writing. <laughs> and so improving your writing skills, even for ordinary writing uh -huh. or for, for um, you know, writing papers, writing research memos, um, working on your drafting skills for that is helpful for, 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 uh, for legal or legislative drafting skills. One of the things I actually found when I studied drafting here at the uh -huh. university was that it made me rethink how I was doing my other writing, and it, it helped me bring more rigor to um, to uh, the non-legislative writing that I was doing. And if I have a, a weakness in that writing now, it's that I think sometimes I'm a little too economical. <laughs> you know, I have this, this sort of legislative um, yeah, economy yeah, yeah. Um, uh, principle in mind. 
and um, I sometimes assume that uh, things are a little clearer than maybe they are to people yeah. looking at them from a distance. Yes, there's always those fine details like shall or may <laughs> or and or or. <laughs> well, yeah, and or are all those traps, little, yeah. logical traps. That, uh, they're deceptively simple words, but they're, they're anything but simple when you put them into a string of other things. In terms of statutory interpretation, besides taking your class, <laughs> how would other people learn? Because I think other law students might mm -hmm. don't really have a statutory interpretation class available. Well, other courses do involve mm -hmm. components of statutory interpretation. For example, criminal law is all statutory interpretation to yes. a large extent. I mean, yes, there is it's, it's statute informed by basic principles. Uh, they come out of the common law, but um, a lot of criminal cases are trying to apply a particular language. And in fact, in the course I teach on interpretation, mm -hmm. um, I teach a lot of criminal law cases because they're just applying principles of statutory interpretation. So, um, and there are other courses as well which are heavily um, statute-based. I mean, even tax. Tax is all statute, <laughs> uh, and there are. Uh, you know, certain facets of, uh, there's a lot of tax legislation that mm -hmm. is essentially just statutory interpretation. Now, I'm not sure to what extent my colleagues teaching those courses highlight these features, <laughs> <laughs> but they are there as, as part of those, those particular subjects. And so, yeah. if you notice them in those subjects, pay attention to what the court is saying about <laughs> principles of interpretation because you may find them in the cases that you're reading in those other courses. Good, good tips. I should pay attention to criminal <laughs> law cases now. <laughs> um, I guess last question, uh, what is a career goal that you're still striving for? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I, I want to do more writing, and uh -huh. so a few moments ago I had 2020 uh, as a target for doing another edition of my book, but I'd like to do something more than that, and uh, I'm, I'm quite interested in doing more writing on interpretation, uh -huh. um, and um, uh, perhaps something a little more ambitious than just a few a few articles on interpretation. I'm interested in, in writing on legal drafting, um, and on drafting as well. Um, I think there's room for, you know, other approaches, and the the drafting world is is, is, is changing. Uh, this whole world is is changing um, with um, electronic formats and and what's happening to those legislative texts yeah. once they're they're out there. Is the open access trend going on? Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I'm organizing or helping organize a conference in, on legislative drafting mm -hmm. here in Ottawa in September. And one of our speakers will be from Oracle, which is one of the largest software companies in the world. Yeah. They have something called the Policy Automation Suite oh. that they have as one of their major products. The Policy Automation Suite is essentially a tool for taking legislative language and converting it into a usable, a user-friendly program that you can use to deal with whatever issue um, mm -hmm. is the subject matter of that legislation. So, for example, um, you know, people want to you know, figure out 
what they need to do, what kind of permits or visas they need to get when they're going to another country. Mm -hmm. um, you can use this tool to come up with um, a user-friendly platform for guiding people through the legislative detail yeah. that, that tells you what you need and how you get it if you want to visit another country. So they don't have to read the immigration regulations. Mm -hmm. What they do is they essentially use this app that asks them a bunch of questions. You know, first question, where do you want to go? Australia? Okay, great. Next question, um, are you a Canadian citizen? Yes, no. Um, if it's wow. no, well, what are you a mm -hmm. citizen of? And so it just it takes you through a whole series of questions. And at the end of that, it gives you an answer. You need this. <laughs> and wow. this is how you get it. <laughs> if you want to visit Australia. <laughs> this is amazing, but I'm slightly scared too. <laughs> I mean So to me that that is the that's the future. Yes. Well yes. it's not just the future. This is happening now. Uh, Oracle is selling this policy automation suite um, to government departments all over the place. Uh, it's selling it to businesses that are, you know, regulated by this, this legislation. Mm -hmm. And it's it's going to transform the world, and I think so. It's one of the things that I think people drafting legislation should be paying attention to. I haven't figured out exactly what it means for drafting, but there's something there that mm -hmm. that demands yeah. attention. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't know if I can. I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing yet either. Oh yeah, and there are all kinds of legal questions about yeah. it. You know, how reliable is this app? You know, what if the, the answer you get turns out to be wrong? You know, what then? Put a disclaimer. <laughs> you know, um, you're sitting at the airport yeah. in, in Sydney and you don't have the right document. <laughs> so you're on the next plane back to Canada. So, you know, that could be a problem for a few people. Yeah. So always a disclaimer. This is not legal advice. Well... And, you know, you just dissolve, you know, resolve all those issues through disclaimers. Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> That's the shortcut. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, thank you for your time. Well, you're welcome. I'm really glad to chat about this. You've just been listening to The Law School Show. You can find all our episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, or at our website at thelawschoolshow.com. If you liked what you heard, like us again on Facebook and get the latest updates from The Law School Show. Career advancing advice, right to your earbuds. <laughs>